You know, it's interesting. There are ten different words for suffering in the Greek language. Paul uses five of them in this little section. He exhausts the Greek language for the anguish, the struggle, the emotional, physical, and spiritual affliction he was going through. Most frequently, he uses the word flipsis, which means narrowness, confinedness, and being under constant pressure. Paul's emotions were responding to his circumstances. He felt hemmed in by difficulties, and the only way he could look was up. See, that's the key. It's not accusing him of sin for being down. It's, it's learning from him that he didn't deny the down. He shared his struggles, but he said, the only way I'm making it and not letting this kill me is I'm looking up. But he still was depressed and discouraged and flipsist, squashed. Looking up didn't take it all away. It just gave him enough strength to go through it. And I think maybe that's a disservice we have that we tell people, you come to Christ and everything is great. You fizzy all the time, you know? Kind of like dropping those fizzies in your drink. You know, the kids love them. They just bubble up all the time. And if you're not bubbly, there's some sin. Really, it isn't that way in the Bible. It doesn't say bubbly is godly. It says having peace, having hope, having strength through all this. So as believers, our joy is internal. And like our hope, it's from above. Even though Paul was discouraged by his circumstances, he still had spiritual joy. Now see, I think that's, that's where we check out sometimes. We equate our joy and happiness with circumstances, and Paul detached them from his circumstances. His circumstances caused his body and his emotions to be squashed and weighed down, and his spirit had a choice, and that was that he was going to look up. But it didn't change his emotions. It didn't change how he felt. It just produced enduring hope. In fact, discouragement seems to attack the successful more than the unsuccessful. For the higher we climb, often we can fall further down. We're not surprised then when we read that the great apostle was pressed out of measure in this verse. He despaired even of going on with life. Great as Paul was in all of his spiritual maturity, he was still human like the rest of us. Look at uh, chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, because when Paul, when Paul did a spiritual inventory of his emotions, he states, um, his, he, he gives a description of his emotions kind of like a battlefield, as if he was besieged and battered, and he had no earthly escape. That's 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9. This is what Paul says as he does that. Uh, a description of his emotions at the moment. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. What that means, by the way, these are beautiful words, and in Greek they rhyme. They're, they're very interesting words. He, he was a, a brilliant communicator, and he used words that, that paralleled each other, that, that had a beautiful cadence to them. As, as you read them, it, it would be kind of like saying we're surrounded but not cut off. And he was using military terms. He says, we're completely surrounded... But the one place they can't surround us is up, and we're not cut off. But he didn't say that, that he was freed from being completely surrounded, from being, as he said, hard-pressed on every side. Continuing in verse 8, we are perplexed, but not in despair. We're pressed at every side, but not abandoned by God. And, and again, he uses these incredible terms. And he says that, that we, uh, every, everything seems to be cut off, but we're not cut off 
from the one place that matters. Verse 9, persecuted but not forsaken. We're at the end of our rope, but we're not out of hope. You know, if you could kind of make stuff rhyme like that. And that's what he does in the Greek language. He says, we are persecuted. They're, they're pursuing us with, with, with danger to us, but we are not forsaken. We have our hope in God. And finally, he says, we're struck down, but not destroyed. Good way to rhyme it in English. We're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. He said, we keep getting knocked down. He didn't deny it. He didn't say that it was wrong. He didn't say that, that you know, if he didn't known a couple more verses, it wouldn't have happened. He says, we are knocked down, but we're never destroyed. Uh, Paul said this in Romans 9. I mean, if you think it's only in Second Corinthians. He says, we have great sorrow and unceasing grief over the plight of unbelieving Israel. No matter what his emotional state or his circumstances, Paul always knew God was in control, but knowing God was in control did not change his emotional state. You understand that? You've got to notice that. that. That it isn't like there's some extra verse you can learn which will make everything... Whew, it just doesn't happen for him. It's just that internal joy. Well, the mighty Paul was depressed. Paul did not deny the way he felt, nor does God want us to deny our emotions. Because of this spiritual transparency and honesty, Paul was never ashamed to ask Christians to pray for him. In fact, if you look, at least in seven of Paul's epistles, he gives specific areas of his life that he asks Christians to pray, and he confesses his struggles. In fact, he calls himself a soon agonizomai, a soon athletes, soon means with, and he said, I'm a fellow contender and struggler with you. He always let them know he was right where they were. He says that in Romans 15, Ephesians 6, Philippians 1, Colossians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Thessalonians 3, and Philemon verse 22. Paul and other believers in Corinth and other places Learn to help each other in prayer. Look back at verse 11 of chapter 1. I want to show you another truth. And we're, of course, going to pick up on this uh, this evening. But 2 Corinthians 1.11, Paul shared his struggles. And as they shared their struggles with one another, they learned to share in bearing the load and sharing it through prayer. Difficulties should draw us closer to other Christians as we share our burdens. And difficulties are used by God to glorify himself. So when you find yourself in the trials of life, remember what God promised us and what he commanded us to do. Now, verse 11. Look, look how Paul writes to these dear Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1.11. You also helping together in prayer for us. The thanks given by many people on our behalf for the gift granted us through many. But I want to focus on that little phrase, helping together. Fascinating word. The word, soon porgeo, means, that's translated helping together, is literally three words, with, under, and work. Paul just put the word with, under, and work. So if we said it in English, we'd say with, under, work. Sounds Unique, doesn't it? Well, that's what it sounded like to them. But what he means by that is that they were under his burden, working together with him so that he could accomplish what he needed to get done. He says, I, going through life, am so squashed, I'm so struggling that I cannot make it myself. I have the Lord. He never leaves me. But I need with under work. I need others who are helping together in prayer. 
Paul enlists the help of other believers to hold him up in his emotional, physical, and spiritual struggles. And this was in addition to the promise that he had that he wrote himself in Romans 8.26 that the Spirit also helps us in our infirmities as he intercedes for us. You see, Paul knew the Holy Spirit was interceding for him and helping him in his infirmities, yet he, he enlisted the help of others. Now, last place, 1 Thessalonians 5, okay? 1 Thessalonians, go to the right. 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. In this chapter, there are more imperatives or commands than in any other paragraph in God's Word. So, I mean, we're, we're, if you're a mining person or a drilling person, you would hit the mother load or a big pool, you know, if you were looking for treasures here. Because Paul reverts to short staccato kind of like commands like this you know kind of like when you're leaving the house you're going to catch the plane you say okay don't forget you know turn the sprinklers on and you know you know and feed the dog and water the you know and, and don't forget to pay the bills you know you just it's all those things you don't want them to forget paul says this is so important for you it's one of the clearest descriptions of the basic duties of a believer in christ church and we must take seriously paul's fifth sixth and seventh commands okay there are at least 19 of them uh, J. Vernon McGee found 22. I still can't find 22. I found 19. But however many there are, look at, at the fifth. It's in verse 14. And it says this, Comfort the faint-hearted. The word comfort in verse 14 is an imperative. Present, active, imperative. That means to continuously, actively be comforting. I command you to do that, Paul says. Comfort the faint-hearted. You know what that is? That means, uh, you've heard of oligarchy, the rule of the few. Well, it's the same word, the olig, which means few. And then suke, it's small or few-spirited. It's someone who we would call in the minor key. They're always down here. They're always kind of... Uh, uh, you know, are we downhearted? Yes, yes, yes. You know, the little song that we sing as kids. Uh, kids can sing it. Are we downhearted? No, no, no. Got my candy in my pocket and I'm okay, you know, because there's so few problems when you're little. But you don't find adults singing that song. And so it says, I command you, comfort those who are downhearted, who are faint-hearted, who are little-souled. In fact, the word comfort is very, I was telling someone this morning, it's a fascinating word. It's, it's to speak closely to them. It says, the, the word is to stand close to them and talk in their ear. It's kind of like if you ever get someone, you know, you, you notice that they get on the ledge, you know, when they're, when they're scared and they think they're going to fall and someone comes along and covers their eyes and says, come on, come back in the window, come back in, you know, don't look. And you stand by them and you talk them out of their imminent disaster. That's what this is. This is to speak closely to someone the faint-hearted and that's a commandment and that's why a couple weeks ago in the evening service i said you know stand up and go by someone and ask them what you can pray for them about did you know that every time we come to a gathering of this assembly of god's saints that there are some oligosukes some small spirited people around us and you know what they need they need someone to stand close to them and talk to them and comfort them like Titus did when Paul was depressed, he was comforted by the coming of Titus, we saw 
in 2 Corinthians. The second commandment, uphold the weak. There's some people, Jude talks about them, that they have to be constantly pulled out of stuff. I mean, they, they're always collapsing. And they're always falling down. And you have got to, and I have got to, and we are commanded to uphold the weak. Why don't they get strong? They're in sin. He doesn't say that. Did you know that there are faint-hearted people, and there are always going to be faint-hearted people, and no matter how much you preach and pray, and how much you teach, and how much doctrine, I mean, they can memorize R.C. Sproul, and they will still be faint-hearted. And they can carry the biggest Bible... It's just part of how the church is made up. And that's why we have strong-hearted and we have the weak-hearted. And they are to minister to one another. The strong are not to point at all the weak and say, if you went to two more Bible studies like I do, you would not be like that, you know. And we just, we, we, and that is not very comforting to them. It, it says, talk in their ears to the faint-hearted, uphold the weak. And then look at the, the end of the 14th verse. Be, here's another command. It's the... The uh, seventh one in this line of 19 he gives, the end of verse 14, be patient with all. Be patient with uh, the ones who never have a problem and be patient with the ones who always have a problem. And you're always paramutheoing in their ear and always standing close to them and encouraging them. So, how though did Paul get out of these times? And how do we get out of these times? When, when we're pressed on every side and our emotions are caving in and we kind of feel like a submarine, you know, at the bottom of the ocean with the weight of the world on us, how do we get out? That's what, what Paul writes about, I mean, what David writes about in the 142nd Psalm. And that's what we're going to actually study tonight. He gives the pathway out of depression. He doesn't say how to avoid never having it because you can't do that. He doesn't say how to... Beat up the people that have it, because it's going to happen. He tells how he learned in the cave, surrounded by troubles and 400 troubling people, with death at every corner outside with the king coming after him. David says in Psalm 142, I have found the way to make great discoveries about God when I'm down here in the cave. 